Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. Welcome to podcast number 168. Thank you for being with us today and every week. We hope you're enjoying this great series from Warren Litzman on Jesus and Paul. We are going into part number 14 today, and it is going to be a great one. Let's bring in Warren right now. It is interesting to hear people talk just like our brother who spoke about how for many years you could be searching for something that's right under your nose. We could blame religion. I do. I usually blame religion for keeping the information from you. But you have to take a bit of responsibility yourself. There's so many things we don't know about our life in Christ. Most of our relationship with God has been turned outer by religion, which has kept us away from the basic facts that might renew our minds. We need revelation knowledge to know Christ is in us. It's not going to come from the world. It's not going to come from religion. It's not even going to come for yourself because, as many of you say, you searched a long time, so it isn't in you. Somebody says, oh, I've seen that before. I don't usually accept that. I bless them, but I don't accept it. You see, you have to talk a different language. It isn't something you found. It's something God leads you to. It's a God thing. Revelation knowledge is a God thing. Now, I don't want to separate believers here with that kind of talk because if you're born again and you begin to see Christ in you, you're on your way. The rest of your life, you're going to be renewing your mind to this fourth dimensional truth. You're going to be daily opening up to it as you see your circumstances and situations take place in your life. It's going to all be a mind thing. But I'd like to help you at this juncture as to where you start yourself to open up to what is revelation knowledge. What are the first things you do? Well, I could tell you to read your Bible and pray. We've told you that all the time. In fact, that has become such an outer thing. Your salvation has hinged on it. If you don't read your Bible and pray, you're not going to make it. I could tell you that, and that's a good thing. It isn't bad. But I'd like to tell you about the reading of the Scriptures. I try to make it plain to people that there's a difference where the Scriptures say something that would bless you and where God speaks to you. Let's take David's Psalms. They're very blessed, aren't they? How many times I've gotten a blessing out of David's Psalms? Couldn't live without them. They're so deeply embedded in us. But when David speaks, and when he tells us something, it just fits what we are. It fits our third dimension. Nothing wrong with that. You need that at times. But when I get you the places in the Scripture where God is talking to you, he's talking from a different level. 
He's talking to you from a level, for instance, that David can't speak to you on. He's talking to you from the level that something unbelievable has happened in your life. He knows it. He did it. And from that level of understanding, he speaks to you. Make it simple. When you go into the scriptures where God speaks to people through grace, the born again, he's speaking to you as if he knows Jesus lives in you. The way he deals with you. And that has a whole lot of ramifications. For instance, you ever pray a prayer and really believe the Lord heard you but never got anything? God didn't answer what it is you wanted? You know why God doesn't always deal with us like we feel in our heart He ought to, like our faith, per se, tells us? You know what's wrong? He's dealing with you as if Christ were in you. And you didn't pray as if Christ was in us. You didn't ask as if Christ were in you. So you put God, as it were, at a disadvantage. He loves you now. He's your Father. And even when you don't take what He says and understand it properly, that it is a Father who has rebirthed you, talking to you on that basis, He still will bless you. My, how many blessings we had in our life before we knew Christ even lived in us. Because that was grace. That's what grace is. That's God doing it regardless. That's, that's Jesus living in our body of sin, so to speak. He loves us. He cares for us. He's interested in us. But still at the same time, you have a responsibility when you read the Scriptures to listen to what God says to you. Now, the Apostle Paul is the only writer in the Scripture that has that understanding, as far as I know. When he talks to you, he's not talking to you like you went to a church and got saved and you've been a Sunday school teacher and you're trying to win souls for the Lord. That's not the way he talks to you. We preachers talk to you like that. But when Paul talks to you, he says, a drastic, unbelievable thing has happened to you, and I'll only deal with you on the basis of that drastic thing that happened to you. Now, that gets right down to the core. That gets to the heart of our knowing. The place in the Scriptures where this is most predominant is Romans 6. This is the place where the Apostle Paul has decided that he must make this distinction between what we were and what we are. It's so plainly written in Romans 6, but you can read it with the wrong kind of glasses on, the wrong doctrine, the wrong ideas about God, and never see it. But it is so plainly written there because he speaks to us on the basis of what actually has happened to us. And lest I leave this subject uh, uncovered or covered completely, remember God probably deals with you most of the time on the basis of Christ in you. 
Now, that'll change his method of dealing with you, and that should change your method of dealing with him. Like I said, I don't want to leave that too quickly, because that'll change your prayer life. When you deal with yourself outwardly, you hurt, you're in pain, God's big, God is good, God is love, and he's going to help me. But when you deal with God from the basis that you're his offspring and his child, it's a whole different understanding. That's where our love comes in. That's why we don't get a lot of answers to prayer. But that's also important because it changes your prayer life. <clears throat> I used to be a colossal asker of things from God, and I'd kind of categorize them, say, oh, I got this here, I got that there, I had it all lined up, you know, God did this, God did that, looking for testimonies. <clears throat> you notice in our magazine we never print any testimonies, not that God doesn't do things, but because what happens to us is the ordinary, not the unusual. <clears throat> but I was always looking for some kind of testimony, you know, but the more revelation knowledge took place in my life, <coughs> the more revelation knowledge took place in my life, the less I asked God for things. I just went on for a long time and never thought about it, and one day it shocked me. I thought, well, I'm not categorizing my needs anymore. I'm not putting them all in a chart. I'm not marking them off. In fact, I've forgotten them. I've forgotten most of my needs, forgotten most of my problems. What's happened to me? I have become another creature, a new creature in Christ Jesus. You see? We are new persons in Christ Jesus. So I didn't, I didn't ask God for a whole lot of things. I told you before, I asked for very few things myself. I asked for you. When you tell me you have a need, I'll pray with you. But you see, it's changed. Revelation knowledge has brought me to a place that if he's my father who owns it all and I'm his heir, my business is being patient and waiting and just trusting I think that's one thing Jesus had in mind in the story in Luke 12 with the, with the prodigal son, that one thing he tried to emphasize there, that that boy couldn't wait. The father had it all. But he was sort of charismatic. He said, bless God, get it now. Get everything you can now. Use your faith now. Get your miracle today. And so the father was likened unto our heavenly father, and he said, all right, this dumb, stupid boy doesn't know it's all his. He wants his portion. I'm going to give him his portion. That's grace. Go ahead and give it to him. He knew when he gave it to him, he didn't have enough sense to handle it. So he let him, he let him go because that was his training. Now, that's kind of the way our prayer life goes. We want God to give us what's coming to us. We want to stand on the scriptures. We used to raise our fist up and say, God, you said it. You've got to keep your word. Well, you'll be in a hog pen for long. <clears throat> because it's, it's a training. It's a kind of training. It has to do with the mind. 
So moving on from that, where does God really begin to deal with you in the Scriptures? Where does He begin to speak to you at the most basic elementary point? Well, I say it's Romans 6. What is the first thing you need to know before revelation knowledge, this idea that I'm another person, Christ in me is my life, I no longer live, where does all that begin to consummate and really begin to flow and act in your life? It starts in Romans 6. Now, as you know, I divide Romans 6 into four sections. It is divided in these sections very simply by the important word that we're dealing with even now. Romans 6 is divided into four sections of, of knowing. The important things you need to know the important things, not just things that make you a Christian, but that make you a completed human being. You know, somehow, in the presentation of the true gospel, I'd like to get it across that I'm not trying to make Christians out of people only. That's good, Christ-likeness. That's good. But what I'd really like to get across is God's message to humanity that He is completing human beings. That's what a Christian is. He's a completed human being. But our message ought not just everybody become a Christian. Everybody come to the Christian church. Everybody sing Christian songs. It's bigger than that. It's the human being. Every human being is only completed in Christ. So this knowing becomes an important factor. <coughs> Four knowing. Four of them in Romans 6. We're not going to go into depth with these, but I'm just going to reiterate them to you because if I was to tell you how revelation knowledge would begin to grip you, this would be the starting point. First knowing, Romans 6, verse 3. Know, mark it. Mark it in your Bible. There it is, the first knowing. This is what you need to know. Know ye not that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Point number one. That's what you got to know. If you don't know that, whatever you know won't fit. That's where you start. That's the foundation. Know ye not as many of you are baptized into Christ or baptized into his death? First, let's analyze those words. Baptized means immersed, put under. Does not mean water baptism. Has nothing to do with water baptism. The immersion is into Christ. You were placed in Christ. Here you are. When you were saved, what happened to you? You, believer, was placed in Christ. The word baptized means to the depth. <clears throat> you know that. Uh, water baptism, we believe, is by immersion. I've baptized hundreds of people, and the biggest objective in water baptism is to get all of them under the water at the same time. 
which was a task at times. Big people, uh, overly sized people, when you baptize them, it's hard to get them all under. And I had to do some of them two or three times to get them all under. And then I was up in uh, the, the Middle East one time, and I saw them baptizing there, and they ducked them over this way. And I thought, well, that took all the strain off the baptizer. He didn't have to bend them backwards. But bending them backwards in baptism was a significant act of the breaking of the will. That's why we baptize backwards most of the time. I always wondered about that until I saw them baptizing frontward. We baptize backward because it's, it's an indication of the breaking of the will because at a certain point, when you go backwards, you're powerless. You're out of control. And that's why we keep a hand under you when you go back to raise you up. You remember that? Now, I'm not in the baptizing business, so I'm not telling you this for adherence. I'm telling you about getting all the way under. Paul said, as many of us as were baptized into Christ. If that's not water baptism, then what is it? It's 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. Key scripture. For by one Spirit, Holy Spirit, are we all, all of us, believers, taken by the Holy Spirit and placed into Christ, into Christ, the beginning of the in Christ truth. As many of you as have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death. Do you have it clear now that the baptism is not water baptism? He certainly would not be making water baptism the very minimal thing because that's controlled by the preacher. He's talking about a baptism that's controlled by the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is you placed in Christ. <clears throat> all the way in. All the way in. Not partly. The word baptized means to the depth. It's like the seed here. Except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. The whole seed enters into a death. That's necessary for it to bring forth life, for life to come forth. You see, when you were baptized into Christ, born again, saved, whatever term you want to give it, when that happened, everything that was Christ became yours. Everything. It was the total seed. On the other hand, you can look at it like this. You're the believer, and Christ was placed in you, the incorruptible seed. You didn't get a part of Christ, some of Christ, half of Christ, Christ promissory, some today, some tomorrow. You didn't get Christ later on, you'll get the fullness. 
when you were baptized into Christ, it was a full, total, complete immersion. Everything God could do, He did for you at that instant. You understand that? We've never understood that. Churches don't understand that. Nine out of ten churches <laughs> won't preach that grace. They'll preach a promissory religion, a hope so they'll work out, a uh, probationary period. Even the Catholic Church that accepts anybody, even those by birth into the church, still puts you on probation. But you see something? There was no probation. You were baptized into Christ. That's one thing. That's what we're making a point of now. You were put in Christ. You were there the moment you were born again. An irreversible position in Christ. Getting out of that Christ, out of that, is an unknown truth in the Scriptures. Getting into that is a birthing. There is no way to get out of a God birthing. There is no way to get out of a God birthing. This is a birthing. You were rebirthed in this person, Christ, in you here. This is a rebirthing. So as many as were baptized into Christ, that's the first point of this first knowing. The second point is you were baptized into his death. You were not baptized into your death. There was not a deal made when you got saved that God is going to work in your life if you do right. That God is going to give you Jesus if you turn out good. There was no deal because God made a blanket application of his love to you not based on you in any way, shape, or form. It was all based solely on the cross. When you were baptized into Christ, you were not baptized where God said, now I hope you work out. That's what we say in religion. I hope they stick. I hope they really got saved. You know we start sinners out like that. We start them out like that. They feel their need of a Savior, their grip of the Holy Spirit, and so let's say they come down to the front and they pray. We're in a building. They come down and we pray for them. They feel good all of a sudden. I did what Mama told me to do. I did what they've all been praying for me to do. I'm here I'm finally getting my load lifted. I'm, 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 I'm going to be one of them. And sure as the world, dear sister, know it all, comes up and puts her arm around him. And she says, oh, we're so glad you're here. We sure want you to stick and be one of us now and said, a thing you need to do is read your Bible every day. You need to pray every day. You need to come to church every time you can. And you need to bring your offering to the Lord. You need to win souls. And you sit there as a new convert and listens to all that. He's watched Christians for years probably. He hadn't hard, hardly seen one that did all that. 
But you know what? He looks over at the dear sister. He says, I'll try. I sure try to do that. And she says, well, I'll be praying for you. I'll be praying that this thing will work out. If you ever need help, just come to me. I know you're going to have a struggle. I know you come out of real darkness, but we're here to help you. We're here to bless you. Well, the God up in heaven watches that. And he wonders what in the world is going on. It looks like Sister Susie's going to save him or lose him. And God thinks, there on the cross, I did this. I fixed it so that old boy would be dead at this moment. I didn't fix it so he was going to fight that struggle indefinitely. I fixed it so he could be free, so he could be delivered. But you see, that old boy is not going to know that. It may be 42 years later before he knows that. He may struggle in and out of that church. He may go on many a drunk because he cannot get his frustrated mind straightened out. What's the difference, he says? He may bring an offering every once in a while. Every time he's full of guilt, he'll bring a new offering. In. <laughs> he's going to do his dead level best to live for God. And he's going to wear Sister Susie out. She asked for it. She's going to have to pray day and night over him. What's wrong? Why is it that God, who sets in the heavens, must be sad over our understanding of the Scriptures? He must say, Susie, Tell that boy he's dead. Don't tell him he's going to have a struggle. Tell him he's dead. Don't tell him he's on probation. Don't tell him we'll pray for him when he falls. Tell him I have rebirthed him out of an old life that's dead into a new life that can't die. Tell him something out of the Word. But poor old Sister Susie's in the kingdom message. She doesn't know the difference. The whole kingdom is trying to get these poor boys that drink and on drugs and in trouble, get them straightened out. God had said, I don't want them straightened out. I want them to be new creatures. God would say, I'm not interested in him quitting his drinking. I'm interested in him becoming a new creation in Christ Jesus. I want somebody to preach that gospel to him. You know, I can talk like this because I used to have an alcoholic home. I wrestle with a lot of them. Drug addicts, too. But you see, that's not the gospel. The gospel is as many as have been put in Christ 
we're not only put in Christ to live the life, to have life, to be blessed, to be all that he is, but they were put into his death so that there's no obstruction to them being who they're supposed to be. We've made Christianity like a jail. People are in and out of it. In America, every person that goes to jail, three out of every four come back. Kind of like church, you know. <laughs> they do a little good and they go out and do a little bad and they come back and do a little good and go out and do a little bad. <laughs> That's the first thing you get in your mind, your death. We'll talk about the cost of it later. That's another section of Scripture. But just get it in your mind. You're dead. To God, you're dead. I was dealing with a man on drugs not long ago. <laughs> he said, why doesn't God hear my prayer? Why doesn't God help me? I sincerely want God to help me. I believed he was saved. But he had returned to the drug so he said, why doesn't God help me? And I said, I think I know. I think God doesn't deal with you like you want him to deal with you. God looks at you and says you're dead, and you won't look at yourself and say you're dead. God's going to deal with you on the basis that when he baptized you into Christ, he baptized you into Christ's death. And on that cross, you died. You died, died to drugs. You died to the old life. You're dead to it. So God's not a religionist. He's not standing around saying, well, I'll try to get them in a better class now. I'll try to get them with a preacher that's got more power. I'll try to get them with somebody that's got faith. No, God says when Jesus died, you died. You got that? And if you don't start there, you're just messing around with Christianity. Thank God you can go to heaven saved by grace but you'll be a dumb doorknob on this earth because you don't know who and what you are in Christ. You died when Jesus died on that cross. You died. That's the first thing you know. You got the first knowing down now? We probably don't need any more, do we? But let's follow through that what comes out of that first knowing. Look at verse 4. Therefore we're buried with him by this baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead, the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Well, let's talk about that second thing because that, that fits the first knowing. If a person's dead, you want to bury him, do you not? You think that's right? We don't do that. We don't bury our old life. We psychoanalyze it. Yes, sir? We've made psychiatrists rich. They didn't have the slightest answer. They can't have the answer because you're not buried. 
see. If you were buried, we'd put the psychiatrist out of business. But they don't know what the trouble is with you, so they put you on drugs. They don't know your trouble is you're not buried. You stink. They got drugs for that. They got all kinds of drugs. They got a drug that'll put you up, then one that'll put you down. And the next one will raise you halfway up, and the next one will raise you all the way up. And then they'll put you back down. Just scratch your head and say, well, let's try this one. I feel sorry for them. I never liked psychiatrists. I was a psychologist, but I never liked psychiatrists mainly because they didn't know a thing about Jesus and wouldn't let anybody tell them anything about Jesus and wouldn't let none of their patients say anything about Jesus. But I kind of felt sorry for them because they were dealing with a whole bunch of Christian people who were dead but not buried. They could all sing and shout, I'm Christian, I'm on my way to heaven, but none of them had been buried. That's the world we live in. We're so frustrated today in this world. I don't know how it is here, but over in America, uh, two out of five people are under a psychologist's care now. I mean, they all got problems. We made the drug people absolutely wealthy and rich. Even Christians are a part of that. Most of our churches now have counseling centers in them. right. They're trying to help those dead people not to smell so bad. <laughs> I talked like that for 10 years. I was director of the, the Dallas Psychological Counseling Center because that's where my training had been. We've got churches doing that now. But everybody needs help. You know why everybody needs help? The gospel hasn't been preached. Poor souls are running around. They're all in Christ and don't know it. They're all dead with Christ on the cross and never heard it. They're all dead and not buried. You know, it reminds me of a thing that happened years ago. Uh, we have a nice class in southern Louisiana, and southern Louisiana is a very picturesque place, old plantations, and uh, there was a lady there that had a big plantation. Her and her husband had a big plantation, and they were just as happy as they could be and were just uh, living life at the top. Everything was fine. Wealthy they were. And uh, all of a sudden, one day, while he was out working, he fell dead. And it broke her heart. She didn't want to live either. She didn't want to live anymore. She couldn't live without her husband. He woke her up in the morning, put her to bed at night, and fed her, and just bought her everything, lavished her, and lifted her up. And when he died, 
she couldn't let go of him. So in the big plantation in the front foyer, she built a sort of a golden cage and put his casket in there in a tomb so she could see him every day. And she'd get up in the morning and she'd go and she'd say, Hello, John. Sure glad to see you today. I'm glad you're still here with me. And all. Well, that went on for some time, kind of worshiping that tomb. Finally, one day, she was uh, getting a little frustrated, and her doctor encouraged her to take a trip, try to get away from everything in Louisiana. So she took a trip to Europe. When she got over to Europe, after a period of time, she met a man and fell in love with him. He was a good man, and she thought she could never love another man. But she fell in love with this man. And they got married. And she brought him back to Louisiana. And he walked in the front door. And he looked over there and saw old John in his casket. And he said, what is this? Oh, she said, that's old John. She said, I just haven't been able to live without him. And the new man said, you're going to. And before the day is over, he tore the gold cage down and took the casket and buried it out in the backyard. He buried old John because they couldn't have a marriage with the old man laying around. We're going to get to him in a minute. But death. You see, you keep asking God to do things because you won't bury. You have accepted salvation, but you won't bury your old life. I'm going to tell you, nothing bothers me so much as a Christian who is frustrated over their past life, nervous, disillusioned, upset. Nothing bothers me so much because they've never learned what it meant to be born again. We have a fuzzy notion that when we get saved, it's up to God to take care of all the junk in our life. And some days when he doesn't do it, we're just frustrated and upset. You don't know what it means to be born again. You have new life, and God's not interested in your old life because it died to him. So I'm always dealing with somebody who says, well, I was mistreated when I'm a child, and I guess that's the reason why I can't get up and go to work every day. You know why God doesn't deliver you? He doesn't see that at all. He doesn't see that at all. He sees you at the cross dead with Christ. Your past is gone. It's always going to be in your mind, but it's no part of your new life. It's no part of your new life. So if you've misused, mishandled, bad things happen to you before you were saved or even since you've been saved, you're going to have to be dead to it 
and you're going to have to bury it because you're not going to come into revelation knowledge with all that junk. That's what it is, it's junk. So the first thing you need to know is that you have been baptized into Christ And that means you are baptized into his death. Now you're going to struggle at a certain point because your past and things about you are going to come up. They're going to surface and you won't know how to handle that. So what you're going to have to do is go back to the cross. Don't go to the psychiatrist. Go back to the cross. Why? Because that's where the cure is. That's where you died. You've got to see your death at the cross. Sooner or later in your life, you're going to have to see your death at the cross. You say, well, that's hard for me to do. No, it isn't. As dead as he was, you are. You got that? You believe he died? You don't think they put him in the grave still wiggling? They didn't put him in the grave, him mouthing. Was he dead? Did he hang there till he died? How dead was he? Was he dead? Was he dead enough for Nicodemus and Joseph on this Sunday we commemorate today? Was he dead enough for them to come and pull the cross out of the hole, lay it down, and pull the nails out of his hands and wipe his brow and pull the thorns out and, and wipe his ribbon side and the, the striping off of his back? Was he dead enough for them to do that? You've been listening to part number 14 of Warren Litzman's series, Jesus and Paul. We hope you've enjoyed it. Don't forget to visit our website, christ-life.org. Read all about us and go to that bookstore and look at some of the great material Warren left behind just for you. Our thanks to Robbie Litzman to go into the archives each week. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does the weekly podcast notes. And this program is produced weekly by the wonderful Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ Life.